Welcome to the 5511 Podcast, inspiring stories of God's power being poured out globally in the lives of ordinary people. Hosted by Dirk Smith and Brooke Kell. This podcast is supported by EEM. EEM publishes, prints, and distributes Bibles and Bible-based materials in 30-plus nations and in 20-plus languages, free to all. Welcome back to the 5511 Podcast. I'm Dirk Smith, and as always, with me, Brooke Kell. And we are thrilled to uh, experience another great day hearing some God stories from a dear friend of mine and ours and uh, EEM's ministry, Jonathan McCreese, who, uh, well, I'll just let you, Jonathan, give kind of your background. You sent us a bio, but uh, honestly, man, that was it was just too much in there for me to read. I like good grief. This guy, this is this is extensive. This is a guy. I, I mean, I knew I was impressed with you, but man, you've forgotten more than I'll ever know. So <laughs> give us uh kind of summarize that and uh, give us your background. Kind of give us uh some of your bio. Well, the first thing that I say is that you know, my name's easy to remember because it's it rhymes with Greece. So my my last name's McCreese. Uh, so if, if a Greek person asks me where I'm from, uh, you know, I just tell them my Greek name and then he gets it that I'm Greek. But I was born in Philadelphia as my parents were on their way to New Guinea in 1962. So now you know my age as well. And uh, at age six months, um, I was inducted into the world of mission and it was a primitive location in what, what today is known as Papua, uh, formerly Dutch New Guinea. And uh, I, my home was deep in the most primitive jungles on the planet. And my friends were those of a different skin color that wore no clothes. And I remember there did seem to be need for us to wear a whole lot of clothes. So a pair of underwear was, was good enough for us as kids growing up <laughs> and just feeling the mud through our toes and just living and eating even with, with our friends in their huts. And uh, we just became best of friends and we would spend our day playing together. We hardly knew each other's language, but um, we were as content as you can imagine. Uh, and yet without any contact to the outside world, except an occasional um, little Cessna, you know, that would drop in. Um, but yeah, we were completely cut off from humanity. And yet, uh, as as a kid growing up, I didn't I didn't know that there was anything better. Uh, so that's where my life began. And what's interesting is that um, the, it's it's like two bookends in history. We have New Guinea, uh, where the gospel only first went uh, sometime after World War II with the first missionaries with CNMA, and and then there's Greece on the other extreme, uh, where the Apostle Paul himself came. And, you know, the first the first people evangelized, you know, outside of the Holy Land, you know, we were the it, it all began here. Um, so, I mean, if you can just wrap your mind around these two extremities and uh, a lapse of, you know, 2000 years. And uh, what, what's interesting is, you know, after 16 years of living in the jungles of Irian Jaya and um, some of my dad's friends were cannibalized, you know, missionaries. Mm. Uh, we saw a great work of God. Uh, the church is flourishing. There are more born-again evangelical believers in, in Papua than, than there are in Greece. And yet um, we've, got to, we've had to do a tremendous amount of catching up here. Not that the country here isn't considered Christian, but those who have had a born-again experience or relate to God as an eternal father who grants eternal life are marginally few. Hmm. So that's a little bit of my background. Went to Moody Bible Institute, uh, did some time uh, taking on some business administration, figuring that that would be handy in ministry and have spent the last 30 some years uh, here in Greece, um, the homeland of my parents. I've served in the Greek army and what a better place to go to the army than Corinth. Uh, can you imagine? I, every every morning I would wake up as a soldier yeah. and I'd look at the sun rising. And I'd say, that's the same sunrise that the Apostle Paul saw. The same. Yeah. Like, and uh, and yet very few, you know, there's one or two small churches with 10 or 12 people in it. And that really caused me to anguish in my soul in terms of 
you know, here we are with such a rich spiritual heritage, but so few that really understand the context of what it means to have a personal relationship with a God mm. of creation that loves us and cherishes yeah. us. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, man. I'll tell you, there's so much in that. Um, I, I will never forget my first trip to Greece and doing the whole Corinth thing. I just, you know, I, you know, you're walking on holy ground. It's just, I mean, it was just so, I mean, I'm walking just thinking this is where Paul walked. This is crazy. I mean, this is just absolutely. And like you said, I'm, I'm looking around and thinking this is what he saw. I mean, it just, it was mind blowing. It was, it was so phenomenal. And then I also remember reading your bio. We have something in common one year apart, which I will emphasize you're one year older than me. So I'll just throw that out there. But uh, one year apart, we were born in the same city. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, we talked about this years ago. Yeah. You were born in Philadelphia. I was born in Philadelphia. I was born in, in Philadelphia in 1963. Um, I asked my parents, what hospital was I born? Was I born in? They said downtown in a public hospital. I mean, so it was, we may have been, we may have been born in the same hospital because that's pretty much my story too, which that'd be kind of fun. You know, you know? we may wow. have been born in the same ward. Could have been. You could have signed. I, my my little crib could have had your initials in it somewhere. I got to look <laughs> over. Was, and maybe, saw a year earlier, maybe a year earlier, I was in the very crib that you you, you were. I should have looked over and you had scratched in there. J.M. was here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing, isn't it? But you know what's yeah. kind of cool? that uh, God is doing his work. Like before we were born, God says that he has had pre has prepared good works for us to do before, before the creation Amen. of the world, yep. Yep. he prepared good works for us to do. And, you know, we were like these obscure babies born in Philadelphia. We have no idea who each other is and no way of knowing because we weren't both born at the same time. And then we get to the end of our lives. We look back and we can relate. Yeah. Uh, and I've just been like, man, what's it going to be like to meet Paul and Peter and ask, yeah. you know, their beginnings started very differently, but they spent time together. They argued together. They pushed back on each other, but they proclaimed the same message. Yeah. And so in a very cool kind of way, um, look at, you know, what you guys are doing with Bibles around the world yeah. and the fact that our paths have been able to cross. I mean, that in... That's a miracle as well. Um, Derek, you guys don't know what an incredible inspiration and blessing you've been. Uh, you, you guys are this huge organization doing stuff, you know, in all corners of the earth. Um, well, primarily in the Eastern European parts of the earth. Um, but um, one day that God ordained that through Bart and Dino, we would meet and the encouragement that has come to my heart is, yeah, that, that's a gift that has been a, made in heaven, signed and delivered for the benefit of my soul and the benefit of the Greek people. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of cool just to look at the expanse of time and relationships and then recognize we're part of this incredible cloud of witnesses. Yes. And so many people that have given to the work of EEM. And if only they could know, if only they could know the spiritual impact of their humble obedience as they send their gift to you guys. And then you guys put it out where God can use it. And how many people along the way get blessed and encouraged. And I'm the first, I'm the first person to put my hand up and say, man, Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And for all who are listening, thank you for loving Jesus and for loving his word and for loving EEM and for trusting them. Um, you have no idea how many people you encourage. So, well, it's it is. Um, yeah, it, it is mutual, man. And I'll tell you, it is. It's uh, always a reminder that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's uh, it is God, and uh, I know I've I've seen it in your work, and I you know amazing stories, which we're anxious to hear some of those and get into some of those. But it's it's very humbling, honestly. Uh, the the first time we met, 
um, just an immediate connection. But of course, what was that connection? Jesus. He was just a, yeah. I mean, we're, we're striving in the same, we're working in the same field. And, uh, and I, I came away so encouraged by you. So it's, it's mutual. I mean, I walked away and just said, man, I just made an incredible friend. I mean, who is just passionate about the gospel. I mean, I, I don't have time for inauthenticity. I don't have time for, for inauthenticity. I, I, I want, I want to be around people that are authentic and that means there's grit and there's going to be, I mean, we're going to get, it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy because we are, we are in the mud. We're, we're working. And, uh, and that's what I see with, with you guys and, and your ministry. I'm like, this is, this is real. I mean, it's, it's authentic. It's, Hey, let's roll up our sleeves and let's get, let's get messy. Hey Dirk, you know, just thought that came to mind um, as you're talking about Corinth, and as we're talking about this great cloud of witnesses, I know that theologically you could argue that they're in the heavenlies or they're in the grandstands. But there's also this, this like you said, we're, we're part of a much bigger story. How many people are being obedient? And if you think across, you know, if our hearts delight in each other's company because we get excited about what God is doing with his word, um, think Think about this. So I'm, I've got a group from Chicago here. I take them to Corinth on a Thursday. Uh, Friday morning, they leave. And Friday afternoon, I leave. I they, go, they return back to Chicago. I go to Australia. And then I change planes in Sydney, and I go up to Townsville. It's kind of like the end of the earth uh, in Australia. And I'm in this little college community or this university community. And uh, I go directly from the airport straight into the church meeting. Like it start, I, I got in five minutes before the church meeting started. And five minutes later, uh, they asked me to come up and, and speak. And I'm just doing a, like my mind is like playing games with me. It's like, just a second. The last conscious experience in Greece was standing over that slab uh, in ancient Corinth that had the inscription of Aristos, the, uh, yeah. the, the council treasurer who paid personally for the pavement in that part of the city. And Paul is greeting, sending his greetings to Rome and has mentioned the name of Aristos in the text. And I said, I, you know, I, I found myself just telling the, my friends in Australia and church, I said, you know, what the fact that we can just get on a plane and travel to the other side of the world, wake up literally on the other side of the globe, what would the Apostle Paul give for that experience. But you know what hit me? I bet you the Apostle Paul wouldn't even give a rip about the comfort of travel if he were to come now. I think what would just blow his socks off is that anywhere you go on the planet, there are God-fearing people that love the word. The word. I mean, like when he was preaching in Corinth, <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of others, right? And think about the faithfulness of God to his word and the vast multiplication of those who believe uh, because of the beauty of the word. Um, and so there I am in Australia and I just, I'm overwhelmed to hear these people loving Jesus, singing and worshiping. I'm like, what in the world connects all our hearts except mm -hmm. the beauty of the presence of Jesus demonstrated through the truths of his word that we have grown to love. And I think that's that's so cool with you guys because you're not out there doing it alone. You have this entire plethora group of people that are journeying with you uh, to all these locations where you guys are doing such incredible work. So what would the Apostle Paul, like we're, we're going to have some stories to share there. We're going to need more than the podcast up there. But. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I know. There's a lot we need to get to. Um, thank you so much for sharing that perspective. I wanted to also tell you that I learned about your current ministry involvement with Hellenic Ministries back in college, and it's played a direct impact in how I see missions and how I see people active in, in sharing the gospel and specifically was really drawn to your work with refugees in college. Really? And so, yeah, so this was... Where, uh, maybe eight, eight years ago. Are you so serious? I, I went to Harding and I studied abroad in Greece. 
So I was exposed to Hellenic during study abroad and served once or twice just briefly with you guys when you were the one night a week when you served meals. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah, I love it. And I have I feel like I have a special connection with your ministry for many reasons, because for the longest time, I was so drawn into what you guys were doing. And it really spoke to my heart. And I know it spoke to the hearts of a lot of people around me. And then it just carried over when I started to work for EEM. And I I remember Dirk telling me in my interview, yeah, we're we're starting to put Bibles, we're starting to print Bibles in Arabic and Farsi. And this kind of this got me so excited because of kind of the history of what I had been involved in and what I knew about you guys and kind of where my heart was headed in wanting to partner with um, different organizations in the gospel. And so I was really drawn to that. And so that was a huge reason why EEM got my attention in the first place. So I wanted to say that here. (laughs) How neat, Brooke, how neat. You never know who's been standing right beside you and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who's in the crowd that might know you and um, who's in the crowd that um, you can't hide from. Uh, but yeah. uh, look that's at how right. small the world is. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that's exactly right. Man, It the degrees of separation, this whole <laughs> six degrees of separation thing, I don't know who came up with that, but they obviously were not a part of the church because, mm-hmm. man, you, you get amongst God's people, and it's maybe two degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. It, the other thing, that's too, it. is think about all the refugees and, um, you know, you you look at them in their crisis and – there's this there's this conflict between those who have need and those who have plenty. And these two worlds collide. And there's often more of them than there is of you. There's a, a room full on the seventh floor, Brooke, where you would help with the feeding. And there's 200 people in the room and they've just come from Afghanistan. And you look out the window and you see the Acropolis in full view and you look a little bit to the right and there's Mars Hill. It's the same gospel that was preached then that's being preached now. And you look through the crowd and they're just a crowd. Okay, Mm -hmm. the very first refugee that we ever met was in 19, I would say, 87. I don't remember my years exactly. He was just a 16-year-old kid in the crowd. Today... He's on our board in the U.S., and he manages a Costco in California and has 350 people, you know, uh, reporting to him. And if I have any HR-related issue, guess who the first person I pick the phone up and talk to? My little Iranian buddy that hung out with us for two years because we, you know, he just was another refugee. Yeah. And the Lord's really spoken to me about how... You know, the, the gospel is so much more than saving people's souls. It's about transforming the way we live and act and the way we view humanity and the dignity that each individual has because of being made in his you know, image. And so it's really hard for us to look to look past their need and to look at our plenty. You know what I mean? It just and somehow it creates an inequality that is completely uh, mm-hmm. unwarranted in, in kingdom economy. So that's, again, another, you know, measure of what God does. And man, every time we talk, it's like, I love you so much. You know, here's this guy yeah. in California, you know, he's, he's my Iranian buddy. We can't, oh, get, yeah. can't wait to be together to have Turkish coffee or Iranian coffee, or we call mm-hmm. it Greek coffee. It's all the same, you know, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> No, thank you. And before we get into more stories like that and more talking about how we've been able to partner as ministries, can you give us a little bit of the background and history of Hellenic ministries and more specifically your role in the development of Hellenic ministries? Well, my dad got really ill when we were in the jungles of New Guinea with a number of tropical diseases. Um, By the way, if anybody wants to read the story in a little more detail, um, you can find it on Amazon. If I had two lives, 
Um, it's a great book. I will, I'll put a, a plug. I'll put a yeah. plug in for it. Great book. Yeah. We just want, if anyone just wants <clears throat> blessing in their life, I'm, I'm, I'm just very proud of my dad and his faith and vision and being part of that mm-hmm. story. Of honor. But anyway, um, he gets really ill in um, 1978, July of 1978. And he is, he's flown back on a med- medivac uh, flight um, and he lands in St. Louis, Missouri. And um, he's all for dead. They, they don't believe that he's going to survive. Uh, they just sent him back before he died on, on, in, in New Guinea. They, they sealed the room, uh, taped it up because they were fearful of you know, tropical contamination. And uh, my dad was just preparing for seeing his, you know, to seeing his creator. And he's like, is there anything that I haven't been obedient to? And at that point, he um, just came across a passage that says, if any of you among you are, are sick, I believe it's in James, call on the elders of the church to come and pray and, and the prayer of the righteous will avail much. And so they anointed him with oil. The pastor came over with a couple others, anointed him with oil, prayed for him. And miraculously, uh, his liver that had, you know, all but died it's cirrhosis of the liver uh, began functioning again and there was life flowing through his body and he began gaining weight a few ounces a day uh, which was a complete reverse of everything that happened and anyway that entire experience over the year of that slow recovery uh, I just remember the doctors telling my dad whatever you do you can't go back to the tropics and that was the point where my dad felt okay what's next and he felt the opportunity to come back and minister to his homeland and to his people. And somehow he managed, you know, I was 16 at the time. He managed to get our entire family, six kids. Um, my youngest sister, I think, was like uh, maybe two years old. But the entire family was super excited about going to Greece. We had no idea what we were going to experience. We come to Greece, and in terms of evangelical population, Protestant evangelical population, we numbered all at about 5,000 people. Um, you, you, somebody coughed and you knew about it. Um, and so there, there, there obviously was tremendous need just for the gospel. And I love the way certain of my Orthodox friends relate to this, but they say, you know, it, it wouldn't be fair to say we got to evangelize because that happened during Paul's day. But we have the opportunity to, to re-evangelize an already Christianized country. We're not, we're not Muslim, but we get to re-evangelize this area and, of course, to be a blessing to the nation. So anyway, that's how... We moved to Greece as a family, July of 1979, and um, we were just, I was shell-shocked at the tremendous need here. I just could not believe it. And even as a 16-year-old, I started asking the Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And uh, that led me through, you know, a series of decisions, uh, Moody Bible Institute, and then eventually back here to Greece. Um, there's some, my dad, being a pioneer missionary in the jungle of Irinjaya, um, he didn't ever see obstacles uh, as a, as something to be considered too serious to stand in the way of us getting stuff done. And so innovation has become very much a part of our DNA. And I remember we just started, um, you know, we just knew that we needed to get the gospel out. He took the only money that he had in his retirement and just started spending it on evangelistic meetings, flying evangelists here. Um, we got a YWAM team that came in, and uh, I remember we were so shocked at the incredible public response at an open-air program that we did Sunday in the King's Gardens here in downtown Athens. And with that, it just led us to believe that the entire country was open to hearing the gospel. So we started planning evangelistic outreaches every summer that lasted up to a month going. We have been to every single city and village square across the country, every major city in Village Square, just setting up a stage, doing evangelism. And that lasted for about 15 to 20 years. And slowly we began realizing that um, we had to begin looking at other aspects of how we communicated the gospel, which has ended up in us considering not only the proclamation approach, but also getting God's word into every single rural household in all of the nation. Um, And that has been such a super exciting journey. In the meantime, the ministry has just exploded into all kinds of venues and opportunities, uh, especially among the, the refugee community. Um, yeah, millions of people have come in contact with the gospel, uh, especially from other lands. Um, it, it's, you know, there's, where, where do I start? Where do I end? I don't want to take all our time talking about all the different ministry opportunities, but this is a tremendous 
um, location on the planet uh, where East meets West and yes. where the goodness of the gospel collides with spheres of need that are just mind boggling um, from Lesbos with, you know, over a million refugees through the Syrian crisis uh, to today, our, our, we have team in Turkey with earthquake relief and um, in other countries surrounding the Mediterranean. So, yeah, tremendous, tremendous place of opportunity. Uh, back about 15 years ago, I can't remember was when it was exactly, maybe it was more like 20, um, the board uh, chose to elect me uh, in the position of um, directing the organization as president and uh, director. Um, so it's been a... It's been a wonderful ride uh, to explore ways of impacting society and um, having the freedom to not have to compete with anyone or anything because it's like virgin territory. If you can dream it, you can do it uh, if uh, God is in it. Um, and uh, so we've, we're involved, yeah, from, yeah, I just ton of, a lot of fun things that we get to do for Jesus in proclaiming yeah. his, his, his word. And that's what I was hit with the first time is just the breadth of work that you guys are involved in. And, and I love the fact that it's not uh, some organizations I would say, Oh, there's some mission creep going on. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all connected. It's all connected. It's uh, you know, and you set people loose and, and they come up with an idea and you're like, man, that's great. Go with it. You know, how do we help? How do we help you? Boy. And, and that's what I've seen. You know, I, I tell people when I come back from anywhere in Europe, I'm always impressed and impacted by the creativity of all in disciples of Jesus as to how they get the gospel out. They begin sharing what they're doing. And I find myself, my mouth open, just going, I would have never, that's brilliant. I would have never thought, but they're using their gifts and talents with the foundation of Jesus coming up through them and figuring out, I have to share about him. How do I do this? How do I do this with the gifts and talents that he's given me? And it's incredible, the just the breadth of what people do. And I know you've experienced that with your people, people that have come, and, and the refugees. Mm -hmm. I mean, they. one of my first trips... Um, one of the, one of the refugees who now great man, we, we all, we all know him and love him, you know, Masood, um, told me, you know, I was asking him his story and, and I'll never forget. I said, I asked him, I said, so besides how Christians, you know, greeted you on the shore and took care of you and your, your daughter and your little boy who had fallen into the sea and that whole story. So is there anything else that made you just want to know about Jesus? I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, yeah, he wouldn't let me sleep. And I said, what? Who wouldn't let you sleep? What are you talking about? He said, Jesus. And I said, what do you mean Jesus wouldn't let you sleep? He said, he's coming to me in my dreams. I said, how'd you know it was Jesus? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, because I haven't experienced that. I'd love to, you know? And he said, well, he, he let me know. He said, I'm Yeshua. You need to know me. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And then I remember meeting other, and he, so I hear his story and then I meet Yasser and I meet, you know, you know, all the others that are coming in and they all have the same story. Some are Afghani, some are Iranian, some are from Iraq, you know? So, I mean, it's just all, and I'm thinking, man, this is our God. This is his rescue mission. He is gonna, he's going to reach them. And we're, we're just there to do our part. And then he talked about getting one of the Bibles that you guys had gave him that, you know, we, we worked together and, and he said, I, I got a new Testament. And I asked, I asked the folks at Hellenic, where do I, where do I learn about Jesus? And they pointed me to the gospel of Mark said here, right here. And he said, I knew it was true because everything he had told me in my dreams was in there. That's yeah, incredible, isn't it? And I was like, golly, I just, I had chills. I was like, man. Do we serve an incredible God or what? You know, and people put God in a box and I'm like, you know, if you want to do that, that's up to you. Good for you, I guess. But I'm going to back away because I'm not putting my God in a box. If he, the creator of this universe, if he wants to reach people, what does he tell us? You seek, you're going to find me. If you seek, you'll find. 
So tell me, tell us, I guess the audience, you, you kind of alluded to it. You didn't use it by name, but, um, cause I love this part of your work operation, Joshua, cause this is, this is the last year, right? This is your, you're yeah, closing is, it up. This is the last year. Um, that is if, you know, people that are hearing this uh, podcast say, yeah, I want to be a part of it because uh, we still need uh, a few people to join. We've put a, a goal out there that's that's beyond our capacity, but we so badly, well, I should say we are so excited about finishing uh, because of what it's leading us to next that we can't wait to turn the page, so to speak. So um, we're looking for 550 participants this summer uh, to help us deliver 180,000 hardbound New Testaments. And um, uh, we're, we'll be stationed in three different locations. We finally uh, have closed in uh, around Athens, which is super exciting. We've, um, so anyway, if I, could, if I could start just back up a bit, when we would go to town squares and set up a stage and do mime and you know, sometimes show movies and and then preach the gospel. We often we did music. We we would continue to change whatever we thought was needed. It's almost like a circus that came to town that needed to know its audience of what sold. And if we had the right props, just these massive crowds would gather. But we were all about personal evangelism. Like we were all about, you know, the, the idea of, of what happened on stage just to gather the crowd and then we would be able to get in and uh, our entire team would spend sometimes till two in the morning. We just talking with people. We just loved it. But as we would drive back and forth uh, between these major cities and villages, and wherever I would drive anywhere in the city or in the country, the, you know, you're driving on the highway and there's this mountain on the side, or you're, you know, looking across at an island, or there's a valley, or you're in the mountain and you're looking across the valley, and there's all these little villages. And as we're doing the large cities, my heart begins to get really burdened. I'm like, Lord, we are working as hard as we can. The years are going by. How is the gospel going to get to every one of these villages? There are people that you love in these places. How are these? It would take 100 years if I worked full time and went from village to village and went to every town and every little you know, space and and, and, and preached and, and gave out your word. Anyway, the Olympics rolled around. Three years out, um, we started preparing because we knew that we were in for an experience that would never happen again in our lifetime. And we knew that there were going to be people that were coming that would want to do something. And if we didn't give them something to do, they would find their own things to do. And so we thought, why don't we capitalize on this the Olympic Games in 2004 and so we began uh, experimenting some different approaches to evangelism in small teams that didn't need permits. And one idea led to the other. And I just felt the Lord saying, you know what? Don't do anything different. Just continue doing what you're doing, which was bring the gospel to your people. How are we going to do that? Well, you're going to get a gift of a lot of visitors. Put them to work. Well, they can't speak the language, but they can pray and fast. And they can take a Bible and hang it on doorknobs. And the curiosity of the Greek people will grab that Bible and put it in the house. And they'll, have, in the secrecy of their home, they'll, they'll read it. So that, was our, that became our plan. And to our surprise, I mean, you've got to understand, we, we, we ordered 50,000 Bibles. And the payment on the Bibles alone was greater than our entire annual budget, ministry budget. So this was a leap of faith for our tiny organization, like you couldn't believe, but we ordered 50,000 and 350 people showed up. We rented this massive warehouse. I hope you don't mind all the detail, but I always get excited about it. This massive warehouse, three football fields long, and we housed 800 people from other ministries as well during the Olympics under that one roof. And then we sent teams to 50 to 40 islands and we surrounded all of Greece uh, with a nine-day project where we decided that we would do prayer and fasting for three days, uh, Bible distribution for three days, and public proclamation for three days. And then everyone came back on the 10th day, and we told our stories and witnessed what God had done in mm. 40 locations throughout Greece. Well, mm. we didn't finish. I was deeply discouraged that we didn't make the goal, which was to have a team on every island, which led us to the team saying we need to finish next year. Well, two years later, in 2006, 
um, we trusted the Lord with our Olympic Games, so we got 210 people, and we finished the smaller islands that were left. And then the team said, what are we doing next summer? And I said, guys, what do you mean? Well, fire broke out in southern Greece, and they said, we've got to go and pass our Bibles. So we ordered another 30,000 Bibles, and we distributed Bibles in the southern part of the Peloponnese. And then they said, the team came back to me and said, this is, this is when you work with an organization that's pushing you. You're not telling them what to do. <laughs> so they're like, we've got to do something. We, why don't we go to the next you know, prefecture? So we very humbly went to the next prefecture and another 50 and another 80. By the time we got to Corinth, we had, I remember the year that we camped in Corinth, we went to 800 different villages. We distributed 120,000 Bibles. And the financial burden was so great by this point where I quietly just told the Lord I was done. I'd given up. And I said, Lord, if, if anyone else can finish the job, that would be great. And um, I was ambushed by people that without anyone knowing, people started asking, what are we doing next year? I'm wanting to quit. So anyway, the big story is that we changed tactic. The Holy Spirit led us all the way up to the border of Turkey and, and Bulgaria. And we began working our way backwards. Um, the early years, we had a lot of pushback from the state church as well. Uh, but over time, we have gained the confidence of the people because we're, we've done something that not even the state church has been willing or able to do, which is give the gospel in a modern vernacular uh, version that the people can understand what they're reading. And... Um, yeah, so that's how we've come to covering. By this summer, we'll have done nearly 9,000 villages, maybe a little over. Mm. And we'll have distributed, by God's grace, 1.5 million Bibles. Now, that may not be such a big number for the EEM people, but it's not just Bibles. It's 1.5 million homes that's right. that have been visited door-to-door and um, across all of rural Greece. And yeah. so we are Amen. so excited about what God is going to do with, with his seed that's been planted. And for our listening audience, if you're an EEM supporter, guess what? You support that because that is uh, this is a partnership that, uh, that doesn't get any closer to the heart of the mission of EEM than uh, Operation Joshua. So we are we are thrilled to be very close partners in that whole process. And, and, uh, it's, it's been very inspiring to watch and to see. And again, as you just said, the curiosity and, and then the beauty of it is there's never a time for anybody at Hellenic when somebody opens that Bible and they get introduced to Jesus, there's no way for anybody at Hellenic to go, Hey, look at us, look at what we did. You know, I mean, it's, it's parable of the sower. That's it. Go yeah. through the seed. And, uh, you know, well, I, again, I, I don't believe Jesus ever does anything, you know, not intentionally. He tells he, he's the perfect storyteller very intentionally in that parable. The individual or the character in that parable that you hear very little about is the sower. All he says is he went out and he sowed the seed. That's it. Yeah. And that's our job. And And then when it lands on good soil, good luck. Try and stop it. It's not going to stop. It's going to take off. And, and I mean, that's, that, that goes back to your Paul story. You know, I think Paul and Peter, and I mean, they're going to go, what the gospel is where it's how far it's in what name. I mean, it's covered the globe. Yeah. Because when it hits the heart of good soil, you're not holding it, you're not holding it back. Yeah. Dirk, we're, we're so excited because, you know, already we're such a small community. We've grown to about 20,000 now from 5,000 in 1979 which is great. You know, it's like 200% church growth, but there's so much that's happening in the circle of, you know, Protestant evangelicalism here, good for the country. And I'm trying to get my mind wrapped around what's going to happen when I, I, when, when people wake up to the nature of God's love for them. So I just mm -hmm. met with a pastor before this uh, meeting and our podcast. And he said, Jonathan, we, it's time for harvest, no more seeding. He says, you need to just come down. People are so ready. They will just, you have no idea what's about to happen. He says, the harvest is going to be so rich. And he was speaking yeah. about his hometown. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Greece, you can't drive anywhere and be further than half an hour away from the ocean. 
what is going to happen when we wake up to the beauty of God's love for us? And what will be the impact on nations that we can relate to as Mediterranean people when the love of God starts spilling over our borders? So that's kind of the end goal is to see mm. the goodness of the Lord spread with hope and light into a vast region of the world that is yet to experience the goodness of, of God. So, mm. uh, yeah, you guys, you are you are the only supporters, the only partners, the only partners that encouraged me at the beginning of the year and ask, what are you guys doing next year? And you say, we want to be a part of it next year. You know, count on us. We're going to be there to stand with you. We don't know how much, but as God enables us, we're going to, and um, we're, we're going to stand with you. And um, so I just want to express my thanks again for your incredible listenership and partners um, and for your trust and for your love and uh, the graciousness of this beautiful partnership that has just so encouraged my own spirit. So this is like you said, Matt, completely by faith. No, how the money comes in, I have no idea. But um, except I do know that I, 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 I have friends with EEM that are going to encourage my heart. Pray for us. We have another 230,000 euros to, to cover um, to make uh, to make our Bible payments. Um, but thank you for the, the, incur the incredible encouragement already given for yeah. this year. Well, I'm going to put a plug in uh, for the people that might be listening or know people that are looking to do something in the summer. Man, you want to be encouraged and inspired, go to Greece, connect with mm -hmm. Hellenic and sign up, volunteer to to hang door, hang Bibles on doorknobs. You know, it's uh, what a great, and, and you're there with other believers from all different nations and just that, that unity and camaraderie. How do they do that? Share with them. If, if they want to volunteer, they're looking to volunteer with Operation Joshua. Where do well, they go? The first thing is it's the, the dates are July 1 to 9. Um, okay. All you need to do is go Operation Joshua. I believe it's .org or .net. I can't, I'm, off guard right now but uh, or you can go on to the Hellenic ministry site and um, what you there's a sign us sign up form there and you'll get an application in the mail you fill that out it's very simple buy a ticket land here on July 1st and we'll welcome you you'll be assigned to one of three teams either uh, two hours north or to a team that will be in Corinth or a team that will be at our campsite using that as a base just north of us so we'll do the first evening together, uh, kicking off our time. We'll do a Sunday morning worship service together, time of prayer and dedication. And then we'll fan out to our three locations. Monday morning, we'll be assigned to cars. And um, there'll always be a Greek in your car. And uh, like Dirk, like what you said, you'll meet people from Australia, South Africa, UK, Europe, all over the world. Um, and there'll be, Lord willing, five over 500 of us. And um, each team um, will be an armada of over 100 vehicles. It'll be about 125 vehicles spread through th these three locations. And every day, we'll leave at, let's say, 9 o'clock. You'll go out for about five, six hours. You'll see territory and country that futurists ever see. Um, you'll pray through, as you drive through the town, you'll pray through it as a group. Um, and then you start at different ends of the city. And two by two, you just walk through the town. And just very casually just drop off a Bible on every doorknob. And that's why it doesn't take any language skill. It's so simple, but the impact is immense. Um, and you're 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 not encouraged to like you don't have to fear like needing to talk to people. So anybody can do it. We have 85-year-olds, my mom's 87, she comes on this. Uh, there are people older than her that come, and, and then there's children that come as well. If you just want to come and stay at the hotel and pray. Um, all 500 names will be prayed for every day. And it's like a spiritual mm -hmm. air force. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so then you just walk through town, drop off the Bibles. And when you're done with the two or three towns that have been assigned to your car assignment, you come home, uh, enjoy a, an hour or two to relax, enjoy relationships, enjoy a nice meal. We'll do a program. We'll do some worship, sharing of testimonies, how the day went. And a really nice hotel uh, set up. And, um, and then the next day, we'll do that for five days. And voila, 180,000 homes will have been touched and over 90 tons of Bibles distributed. And how many volunteers are you looking for at this point? 550. 
Okay, yep. there you go. And then we close in Athens with a big celebration uh, with music and worship testimonies. Uh, this will just be a time where we can just just um, uh, include some of our other Greek friends as well in the area to come and join us. We would love to have a thousand people in an open stadium just saying how great thou art. Mm. Amen. So, Goodness. Wow. Yeah. 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 That would be. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, man, we that's are. Amazing. We are closing up on on time uh, here and getting close. Tell us how can we pray? How can our audience? How can we, you know, personally be praying for you and for Hellenic? And uh, what can our audience be praying for? You know, there's always the, you know, pray for money, pray for people, prayer requests. Those mm -hmm. are really significant. But I don't think either of those are a big deal for God. I think my greater challenge is just praying that we keep our temples clean. We please the Lord with our spirits and our hearts. And I just pray for purity in my mind and my heart. I, I pray that it won't disappoint the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, if, if, if we're in the, in the pleasure of our Father, then will not all that the Father has be ours also? Will he not lavish us with all that we need? And so I, just, I, I, you know, even, even like, I don't want to be anxious, you know? So my prayer request is like, can you guys just pray for me and my staff that we would be honoring to the Lord? You know, I mean, that's, that's a far greater challenge to me than, you know, money comes and goes, it's in the hands of the non-believers as well, but spiritual purity and dedication and trust, like anxiety, every one of us struggles with anxiety, pray the spirit of God's peace will rule in our hearts as we trust him against all odds. Um, pray that the favor of the Lord would rest on us, uh, that our light would so shine before men that they would they would glorify the Father. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't want to be involved in, it's like there's, there's no time just to do good work. So pray that the Holy Spirit just refreshes this land through this effort. Um, and also pray for our safety. I, I, believe, I believe there are spiritual attacks. The devil finds his mm -hmm. way to discourage us. Oh yeah. Um, my wife uh, just missed a head-on collision last Friday. And uh, I was just numbed when I arrived. She called me frantically and arrived at the scene of the minor accident that could have been life-threatening. And I just paced the side of the road until the police came and just said, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's as if the angels, you know, just step in the middle here. And so... Pray for our safety, pray for our purity, pray for our ability to remain uh, Christ Christocentric, pray for our faith, um, pray that our faith that is greater than gold would be pleasing to the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, pray that we have the people that we need and the resources that we need so that we can glorify God by paying our debts and um, pleasing um pleasing him as well as those that uh, are enabling us to do this project. Great. Amen. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks right. for sharing. I, I know it makes me excited to know how to pray for you guys specifically. And that really inspires my prayer life also and what we need to be praying over EEM. And so thank you for sharing. I know our audience is going to really appreciate that too, about learning how they can be involved with you guys how our missions are intertwined and just how to be proactively praying for these ministries and the individuals that work in them. So thank you. Can I close with just one tiny little, little story added here? Just as you were saying, talking book, it reminded me of the power of God's people praying. Um, young Costa was a little, was a, again, like 15, 16 year old kid. I won't tell the backside of the story, but he came to our office and my dad gave him a Bible. And for that one Bible given in the late 80s, um, my dad received a court case. He was taken to court and um, tried at a criminal court and received a three and a half year prison sentence. Um, I just want to stand to glorify God for his faithfulness. We won the case at the appeals court um, with a lot of public uh in um, you know in help uh, and internationally with um, but what's just stands to amaze me is that fast forward you know 15 20 years um, 
the entire nation has received a Bible. Mm-hmm. And just last night, uh, I had a priest in my home over supper who said, Jonathan, your the work of you guys, your your you guys' work has been underestimated. And he says, I just want to encourage you to keep up the good work because it's going to bear great fruit. And who is this coming from? Someone who's not even in our circle. It's mm-hmm. from an Orthodox priest. Uh, so mm-hmm. I just want to give God the glory for what he's doing yeah. and rejoice in what God will do as we continue to serve him together. Amen. 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 What a great way to, great story to close out on. Man, thanks again for being with us. It's been an absolute joy and uh, look forward to seeing you in a few days, not very long, and uh, getting to spend some good quality time together. It's going to be great to to just see you up close and personal and uh, not just over Zoom. So always good. All right. Well, thank you to everybody who uh, joined us. Thanks for uh, being with us. And as always, we uh, ask that you give us a rating, give us a review. And uh, if you haven't subscribed, click that little plus sign or whatever it is that you are, are looking at this or hearing this and subscribe so that you will be alerted for future episodes. Thanks for being with us. Remember, new episode drops every first Tuesday of the month. Thanks to Jonathan for being with us, and thank you to everyone. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 5511 Podcast, hosted by Dirk Smith and Brooke Kell. It's edited by David Wilkinson. The 5511 Podcast is supported by EEM. EEM publishes, prints, and distributes Bibles and Bible-based materials in 30-plus nations and in 20-plus languages, free to all. To learn more about how you can partner with EEM, go to eem.org. And we'll leave a link for you in the show notes. We'd also love for you to rate, review, and subscribe. And of course, we'd really appreciate you telling your friends about us. So thanks for joining us. We'll be dropping a new episode the first Tuesday of every month.